0: This morning, our gospel passage from Mark will likely resonate with anyone who's flicked through Netflix or neon movies available on TV. And if you've looked for movies on TV, you will have noticed that many movies on offer have promoted a singular theme the coming collapse or destruction of our world and even of our universe. Over the past 25 years, Hollywood has profited billions of dollars from the production of apocalyptic films. Prior to the 1950s, there were only about four or five major Hollywood films that de- dealt with the end-time destruction. And over the last two decades, however, there have been more than 200 apocalyptic movies dealing with the end-of-the-world events. End-of-world events on the movies, seem to attract many people. So as we look at Mark 13, verses 1 to 13 this morning, the words may seem very very similar to a modern-day movie script. In fact, if we close our eyes and allow someone to read the passage to us, we can almost envisage it on the big screen. We can see Herod's temple, still incomplete in Jesus' lifetime, as it starts to shake, and large pieces of alabaster rock and gold come crashing down. Perhaps this place of worship has been hit by a violent earthquake, or perhaps a foreign army has come in to destroy it, and actually that's what happened in the year 700, not long after Jesus had died. The temple had the reputation of being the most beautiful thing in the whole known world, so it's no wonder that the little band of disciples following Jesus were absolutely astonished when Jesus told them that the whole building will be demolished. The disciples, after all, had just been very impressed with look at when they looked at the temple, having finally arrived from the north into Jerusalem and set eyes on this magnificent building. And they ask, not unnaturally, When this destruction will happen. It's important to understand the question asked by the disciples and also the answer given. Many people have read Mark 13 and its parallels in Matthew and Luke as a chapter mainly about the end of the world, which it certainly is not. Jesus, on several occasions, used cosmic language, language about the universe to talk about the future, giving rise to the belief that the whole of Mark, chapter 13, is about the large-scale future of the universe, which it isn't. The main subject of the passage, however, is about the fate of Herod's temple in Jerusalem, and also, most importantly, the fate of Jesus' followers in the time leading up to the temple destruction, and when Jesus would not be with them to lead them. Jesus is at pains to let his followers know that they will face risks and they will face trials and they will face challenges at times when he is no longer with them to encourage and support them. He sees his followers as a group who will be defined as his followers and he knows that they will suffer for following him. And Jesus goes further. He warns them that even when challenges come, be they wars or earthquakes or pandemics or any kind of challenges, that does not necessarily mean that Jerusalem, the centre of their world, is about to fall. And Jesus is setting out how his followers should behave when many things in their lives seem really challenging to them. Jesus asks them to have patience in the face of the challenges they face. Patience is often difficult to practice. You need perseverance to practice the art of patience. And however hard we work at being patient, what could be termed revolutionary patience is possible only when it's rooted in contemplation, a returning to God who contemplates us as we are and showers us with love. From my reading of Jesus and from my reading of Jesus in Mark's gospel, I take revolutionary patience to mean living life immersed in the renewing energy of God. Living life alert to the utterly beautiful presence of God in every person, on every street, in every heart. A trustful way of living, watching and praying Attentive, alert, and awake. A trust, too, in the timeliness of things, in God's pace, God's time, which is often either slower or quicker than we wish things would happen. Revolutionary patience doesn't mean being passive or quietest or accepting injustices and inequalities as they are. On the contrary, it can be the fuel for life of just action and righteous protest. But all the action, all the protest is rooted in contemplation of God, of God's way, who is with us in the face of each person who comes to have breakfast or morning tea with us, and each person who is watching or listening to the service now or in the future. Recently I learnt about a group of people who who lived out the message of revolutionary patience in challenging times. During World War I, New Zealand soldiers in the trenches, in what must have been one of the most physically and mentally challenging situations possible, often requested from people back home in New Zealand that seeds be sent in their parcels from family. Imagine having the patience to plant seeds, both vegetable and flower seeds, inside the muddy trenches while fighting on the front line. Imagine the faith and hope in God that would enable you to trust that the seeds would grow to maturity and you would have fresh vegetables and beautiful flowers growing in such a terrible environment. Jesus warned his disciples about false teachers false information, fight frightening rumours and natural disasters that would tempt them to panic. They must resist the temptation to panic. They must practice patience. As Jesus says, this is only the beginning of the birth pangs. Jesus asks his disciples to live in a way where the purposes of God and the challenges of the world cross paths with each other. For the early followers of Jesus, a final crisis did come after his death in 70 AD. The results of that crisis, the destruction of the temple, can still be seen today on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. One of my memories of Jerusalem is standing beside the excavations near the Temple Mount, next to some of the massive stones that have been excavated from the temple, the, su- the stones are still there in the same place they were the same place they fell. <coughs> perhaps I could have a picture of the stones there. The stones are huge um, Perhaps we could have a picture of the stones thank you. The stones are huge it is said most of the t- most of the stones that you can see, And others are about 37 feet long, I've used feet to give you the image, 18 feet wide and 12 feet thick. No one living at that time could have imagined that they could be destroyed, but they were. Jesus' warnings to his followers are to be taken very seriously by all who are Christians. Many Christians face persecution every bit as severe As the early church members suffered, Christians who don't face persecution often face the opposite uh, temptation, to stagnate, to become cynical, to suppose nothing much is happening, to believe that the kingdom of God is just a fictional dream. Psalm 127 reminds us that God is at the centre of every single thing in our life, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labour in vain. The Lord indeed is at the centre of absolutely everything in our life. Nothing that surrounds human beings and their kingdoms and their enterprises is eternal. Man is at best a sandcastle builder. It's always been that way. Ancient Rome proclaimed itself to be an eternal empire that would bring peace and harmony to all its citizens, and yet it brought about poverty, imprisonment and slavery. Where is the Roman Empire today? It is resting on a pile of sand. It was said that the British Empire was so vast that at any time, whenever the sun shone, shone, it shone on British land. And so the British would brag, the sun never sets on the British Empire. However, we all know that that no longer is true. The British Empire has faded into the sunset. It too has proven to be a sand castle. Generations of Christians over the centuries have read passages such as our reading from the Gospel this morning and wondered if Jesus was speaking of the time they lived in. During my lifetime, I've heard many people predict the coming of the end of the world. These false teachings are always false. They do not address the message of Jesus to us today, which is about having revolutionary patience in a world that is very challenging. Over the centuries, some people suggest that taught by Jesus of a new kingdom is but a pious dream, a fantasy, that we have left behind us in the scientific age. They would say that our focus should be rather on looking for Jesus coming to us in many ways throughout our lives here on earth, in our daily life, in the people we meet and the people we help, as we share communion and at the hour of our death. Other Christians would want to say that there will be one final day when there is a final bringing in of the kingdom of God where Jesus returns to earth in glory, and heaven and earth are reunited in peace and justice. Certain events are seen as precursors of the second coming of Christ, such as earthquakes and other natural disasters. I cannot claim any more authority than each one of you listening with regards to this very big question. But what I do know, however, from the scriptures is that Jesus gives directives to his disciples and also to each one of us to be patient and live with hope and love, to practice revolutionary patience. Buildings will fail, traditions will fade away, arguments will only divide and never heal. Rituals are only a means to an end. The only thing that will truly last is Jesus, his message and his kingdom, here and in heaven. Henry Nguyen, in his inspiring book, Bread for the Journey, offered these thoughts on patience. Patience is a hard discipline. It is not just waiting until something happens over which we have no control. The arrival of the bus, the end of the rain, the return of a friend, the resolution of a conflict. Patience patience is not waiting passively until someone else does something. Patience asks us to live each moment to the fullest, to be completely present to the moment, to taste the here and now, to be where we are. Let each of us embrace revolutionary patience in these challenging times and allow ourselves to experience the closeness, the real closeness of Jesus in unexpected ways. And to God be the glory. Amen.